So hello and welcome to the Expat Pod. My name is James, your host, and today I'm joined by Les, who we met on Facebook by you um, flying to a, to a post they put uh, saying that you lived abroad and wanted to share your story. So if you don't mind saying where you're from and where you lived. Hi, thanks for having me, James. Yes, I did reply to you on Facebook and you said, yay, I want to talk to you. So here I am. My name is Les Flowers and I am originally from London. That's where I was born. And I spent the first 33 years of my life in and around the UK, not really staying too still, lived everywhere from London, right up north, somewhere in the middle and right down at the bottom in Cornwall before I actually left the UK in 2022 um, and came to Latin America where I've been ever since. Amazing. And is it just one country in Latin America or is it several? Uh, been to several. Started in Mexico and moved on. I went to Guatemala. Then we went to Dominican Republic, and now we're here in Colombia, which I absolutely love and where I plan to stay. So hello, welcome to section one of the podcast, all about getting there. So Lace, you've obviously lived in various parts of South America. Um, if you'd want to kind of tell the story as to how you, you know, managed to do that so what was the first process why did you want to leave and what was your kind of um inspiration for going to mexico first why did i want to leave i have had the travel bug since i was a kid my grandma used to take me all over the place like she took me to jamaica barbados germany we went to fiesta ventura she took me a lot of places and i was a kid so it's always had the bug and I don't know what it was. I just I just needed to get out. I needed to leave. I needed to change my life. I was very unhappy in a really unhappy relationship. And it was like, look, you either, you've got a choice to make. You either get up and you do something or you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life. Which one would you prefer? So I was like, do you know what? It's, it's time to start dreaming. I had no money, no passport, no business, no nothing. So I made a dream board. And I put up all the pictures of, you know, the beautiful beaches and the beachside houses and all the, you know, the beautiful tropical plants and the food I wanted to eat. And I had no idea how I was going to achieve it, but I stuck it. I was living in a caravan at the time in Somerset and I stuck it to my ceiling. And I, that was the first thing I saw in the morning, last thing I saw at night. And I was like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And slowly things started to happen. Like it was, it was weird. But I knew that's what I needed to do. So I just took tiny little steps towards it. Like, you know, starting to clear out stuff, getting rid of things I didn't need anymore. And just knowing in my heart it was going to happen. And within 12 months, it did happen. And the reason I started in Mexico is simply because I felt called. It was like an intuitive thing. I'd never been to Mexico. I didn't speak any Spanish other than like, hello and thank you. Um, And... I had no inclination to even go to Mexico ever until this time in my life where I felt like I was just drawn. It's where I had to go. And that's why I ended up there. I didn't know anybody, nothing. I just I just knew that's where I had to go. So that's that's where I went. And when you were researching going to Mexico, what was the first thing you, you did? Did you find somewhere to live or somewhere to stay and then look for work or travel? What was uh, your... I had a friend on Facebook who was already living there um, and he's Canadian. Um, so I just started chatting to him about what he did and he was like, yeah, come, this is where I am. He was in Puerto Vallarta. So I was like, well, that's where I'm going to go. 
<laughs> that's how I made that decision. He's there, so I'll go there. At least I'll have somebody in the area. Um, and I actually booked flights first. I looked at the map and I was like, okay, that's where I'm going. I booked the flights and I was like, okay, where are we going to live? I had no idea. Why don't worry about it? And then that same guy rang me literally two days after I booked my flight and said, hey, I'm moving. Do you want to take the house that I have, which is like five minutes walk to the beach and two minutes from a river? I was like, um, yes. <laughs> so I, I inherited that house. It, it was that easy. And I didn't have I didn't have any work as such. I'd launched an online business and that was what I knew was going to was gonna support me. I'd make it happen. Crazy. What was the online business you were doing? At that time, I was actually a women's crypto coach. I was just teaching ladies about blockchain and cryptocurrency, you know, how to navigate the the new financial system, how to understand it, how not to get done over by scam. It was basically education that I was given. And I had an online group coaching program and that's what I was teaching. Well, amazing. So you had the digital nomad lifestyle. Yeah, I wanted it for a long time. And did you move with your children? I did. Uh, how was that for them? Was it difficult? I guess how how old were they? Uh, my youngest was eleven months old, and my eldest was thirteen. So, but she travelled a lot. Was it easy in terms of understanding to get visas, etc.? Did you have to apply for a visa before you moved? No, not as a tourist because we went as tourists. So you just it over, and then you get your hundred and eighty day, hopefully, tourist stamp, which we did get on entry. So we had an easy six months straight away. So that was no problem. Obviously, if you're planning to move permanently and live, then it's a different kettle of fish. You do need to apply for you know, visas and stuff like that. But if you're going to go as a tourist, you don't have to worry about any of that. Just book your flight. Make sure that you have return flights. I didn't. I went on a one-way ticket, but there are websites where you can rent tickets to anywhere in the world. Oh, wow that will show you can show to immigration they're legitimate ticket um and then you can show that as your return flight and then they don't give you any any trouble about when you're leaving so that's what i've done everywhere i've gone i've used this particular website to to book my onward ticket just so i have something to show all right that's an interesting like, life hack or travel hack that i hadn't heard about i don't have to use that before i've just not had a return needed this return ticket just so far but uh, I'll, I'll know for next time, or if, if I do need it. Um, so then, did you, did you just spend six months in Mexico, or did you uh, spend longer? Um, I did spend longer. I actually stayed in Mexico for eleven months, um, but uh, I sort of split it up. I was a little bit over my time, um, to begin with. But in Mexico, it's not the end of the world. You just pay a fine, and everybody's happy. So I actually was living in San Cristobal de las Casas when I left Mexico, which is right at the like southern border. So I was able to get in a collectivo, which is like it's like a transit van, but it's a bus. Um, right to the border and we literally walked into Guatemala. And then we spent eight days in Guatemala. We bussed all the way to Guatemala City and then bussed all the way back to the border and walked straight back into Mexico and spent some more time. We spent another Another five, almost six months. I think it's about another five months before we actually left again. Oh, wow. So that's, is that all you need to do is just go into Guatemala and then get a, get a new stamp where you went back in, basically? Yeah, that's how easy it is in Mexico. Just leave and come back in. It's, it's no issue. And did you need anything to get into Guatemala or is it the same tourist visas? No, nope, same thing. 
just go get your stamp and go about your business. Come back. They stamp you out of Mexico. You get stamped into Guatemala. And then you get stamped out of Guatemala and get stamped back into Mexico. Sounds super easy. It is. <laughs> it really is. Um, and then going into Colombia, where you are now, what was the what was the reason for that move? Or what was the incentive to leave Mexico? I guess maybe because you were running out of your time? Or... No, well, I was running out of time in Mexico and we went to the Dominican Republic, which was where I wanted to go as my next destination after Mexico, simply because it's somewhere I wanted to go. There was no other reasoning other than that. And that's where we went and we spent six weeks. And for me personally, that was more than enough. I did not enjoy the Dominican Republic at all. Um, I couldn't wait to get out. I had a friend in Colombia and I really wanted to visit. But because Colombia had the, have the best reputation, I was quite scared. But I knew that she had been living here and she had a Colombian child as well. So I was like, tell me about Colombia. Like, is, is Bogota safe? Like... You know, are we going to die? Like, what do I need to know? And, um, you know, she gave me the down low and I did some did some YouTube in and watched some videos. I was like, do you know what? I think we'll be fine. So we went. Uh, Bogota, you're, you're living in now. Yes, that's where I am right now. But I haven't always been in Bogota. I started in Bogota. We flew into Bogota. I spent a month here. And then I flew off to Santa Marta, which is on the Caribbean coast. Very, very hot. If you like sweating, you will love the Caribbean coast of Colombia. It is hot. Um, and I spent five months there and then flew back to Bogota, which is far, far cooler. In fact, you could even go as far as to say it's actually cold sometimes, especially in oh, the well. is it is it quite high up in altitude? Yes. Yeah. Some people complain of altitude sickness, but I, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I it means just... like the marathons faster. It's, it's never been never been a problem, but I like it here. The temperature is much cooler and you don't need air conditioning. So, you know, your bills are a lot cheaper as well. Quite quite a, quite a good good place to be then if you are uh, not wanting to spend loads of money on, on electricity because it's yeah, not needed. Is there anything else that you needed to do before moving to all these places or is it just quite easy going? It's really easy. Colombia is a bit more strict on how long you can stay. They only like you to stay for 180 days per calendar year and then you have to leave and you can't come back until the next year. Um, but there's lots of ways that you can apply for visas like they have a digital nomad visa. They have, you know, investment visas. You can get married to a Colombian if you want to. You could have a child with a Colombian if you wanted to. These are all ways that you can, you know, there's ways that you can stay. Um, but no, there's no, you don't need to apply for anything to come into Colombia. There's no restrictions anymore. Um, so you don't have to be jabbed or have a test or any of that sort of stuff either. You can just come in. They give you a 90-day tourist stamp on on entry. And if you decide once you're here, you want to stay longer, you can extend for another 90 days online. And I think it cost me about £60 for the three of us to have that extension. So that was no problem. So, wow. And then were you looking to then get the visa as well? Yeah, I, I want to stay. So figuring out how to do that is my next kind of process. And I don't have a plan for that as yet, but we'll get there. <laughs> I'm sure you will do. Um is there anything else you want to add about how you got to these places or shall we go into section two? No, section two is good. Uh, 
Hello, and welcome to the podcast, all about being there. So, Lace, you're now living in Colombia, but you've lived in Dominican Republic, and you've lived in Mexico, and you've briefly done a quick tour of Guatemala. What were your first impressions of each of the countries? We start off with Mexico as your first destination. When I got to Mexico, it was a massive culture shock, huge. And I've been to the Caribbean before, you know, so I've been to Jamaica, I've been to Barbados, I've been to, you know, the non-Western world. And Mexico was still like a huge smack in the face. I don't really know why. I just I just couldn't get used to it. It was like these people are off their rockers. Like everyone just does whatever the hell they want to do. And I really like that. But it's crazy. Like you see people driving cars without the fronts missing windscreens. They just be wearing glasses. Who needs a windscreen when you can put on some sunglasses? You know, people riding in pickup trucks sat in garden chairs at, you know, in the pickup truck in the back just sat in garden chairs like it's it's just it just messes with you because you're just like if you're from england you're just like you, you don't see this stuff you just don't and you wouldn't like people would go to jail like health and safety would would lose their minds in mexico they really would lose their mind um so it was it in that regard it was a bit of a culture shock and you have to get used to the water you have to get used to the food i spent the first month and a half really sick not because there's anything wrong with any of it it's just that your constitution is different and you have to get used to your new surroundings different treatment exactly and then you get used to it and you're fine to begin with i think in my first month i was like i'm not sure if i can hack mexico i don't think i can but i actually came to really love it in the end and i do love i love the freedom like people just get on with their business they do what they have to do and they do whatever they have to do to get it done and i really respect that like it's just if you if you can go and do it go and do it like nobody cares just get on with it and i like that because obviously in england we're so like controlled we've got no freedom we're not allowed to do anything we can't even build houses on our own land in mexico you can buy land and do what you want with it you know build a 65 floor house if you want to nobody gives a shit it's fine <laughs> You just get on with it. And I really, I really do like that. And then what was your first impression of Guatemala, albeit quite a short trip? Was that more like a tourist experience? No, it was not touristy at all. Because if if you're having the tourist experience, you'll probably fly in. You won't walk across the border. And you probably will not sit on chicken buses, which are like decommissioned American school buses. And they just become public transport extremely uncomfortable very very long drives the weather is crazy like it can be beautiful and the next minute it's absolutely hammering down with rain and there's a landslide and your ass ain't moving nowhere for the next couple of hours until they clear the road that happened to us twice so it wasn't a tourist trip at all it was an adventure sitting on buses for like up to eight hours at a time um going from the border right down to to guatemala city i liked it it was pretty it was really pretty uh, and I think the thing that really struck me about Guatemala was that I couldn't find their food. It was really hard to find Guatemalan food. Was that because it was just, were they offering uh, international food then of um, like Mexican food or other stuff? Or was it? It was loads of big chains. McDonald's, Wendy's, Pizza Hut, KFC, just nasty food. I was like, where's the Guatemalan food? It made me miss Mexico because every street corner in Mexico, you could, Walk a couple of meters and you'll find tacos. You'll find all the nice things. In Guatemala, You, it, it was hard. I did find their food eventually, 
but it wasn't easy to come by. And that that was disappointing and confusing to me. And uh, how was your Spanish by the time you went to Guatemala? You've obviously been living in Mexico for six months or something. It improved because obviously when I got to Mexico, I didn't speak any Spanish at all other than like, you know, the proper basics like hello, goodbye, thank you. That was it. So obviously by this time I could out ask for things in shops and, you know, have small conversations but still quite limited. Um, I would always recommend wherever you go, make sure you have Google Translate on your phone and always have data because it will save your ass. It saved mine on many occasions. Google Translate is the one because you can talk into it, you can type into it and you can even take pictures of stuff and it will tell you what it says. Um... So yeah, it had improved, but it was still limited at that time. And since then, it's improved a lot more. What was your first impression of Dominican Republic? Um, how can I put this politely? I thought it was a bit of a dump. I was really disappointed and upset at the amount of trash that was just all over the place. Um, I didn't stay in a tourist resort, so I can't speak for, you know, people that go to Punta Canta or you know, and in these nice places, Las Terrenas and all that. I didn't stay there. I stayed like local because I like to stay locally because if I'm going to stay in a place, I want to see what it's really like. You know, I don't want the fancy pantsy experience all the time. Um, I stayed in the, well, I stayed near Nagua, which nobody's heard of and everyone that has heard of it will go, oh, that's why you didn't like it. Um, so definitely treat the wrong place to go. <laughs> Is that near the border of Haiti then? Or? No, it's just in the middle of nowhere. It's about three hours from Santo Domingo Airport. Um, lovely beach is right on the coast. We had the beach across the road and we were like the only people on it pretty much every day. So that was really nice. Um, but there was just so much trash, even on the beach. Like after weekends, it would just be filled with bottles and takeaway stuff and just rubbish. And I was like, how? even the rivers were the same. And I thought, how can people treat their homes, their front, their doorsteps, like a giant tip? And that really bugged me. There was like, <laughs> when we used to go shopping, we used to go once a week into the town of Nagua and buy taxi because I was told not to get on any buses because uh, they were dangerous. So I never got on the bus. So I had one taxi driver who I got quite friendly with and I'd just call him and say, hey, once a week we need to go to the store and he'd take us. The town had what you needed, but again, I was shocked by the lack of like fresh produce that was available. For somewhere that's so beautiful with such lovely weather, I was like, why can I not find like a nice lettuce? Why are the apples rotten? Like it was, I didn't really understand it. It was really expensive. Was, um, I, I didn't enjoy the Dominican Republic very much at all, the part that I saw. Um, and six weeks was definitely enough for us. We were ready to go. The best part was the beach and the lovely warm water. But other than that, I didn't find the people very friendly. And I hear different things from people that travel. I've been told, oh, everyone's really friendly, blah, blah. I didn't get that vibe at all. The Airbnb guy was friendly. And the lady in the local shop who had like a selection of rotting vegetables was very friendly. But other than that, it just, it just wasn't for us. And the Spanish is very different. Like just because you... Learn Spanish in one country, for example, Spain, it doesn't necessarily translate to Spanish in Mexico or Spanish definitely not in Dominican Republic. It's like different. Dialect is different. Words are different. And I really didn't understand anybody in the Dominican Republic. They understood us because we'd learned Mexican Spanish, but we didn't 
we didn't understand them at all. Even the Google Translate was confused. You know, when Google Translate confused, you've got a problem. So, <laughs> so that it was it was quite a hard experience. It's very hard to communicate with people out there. But don't let that put you off. You know, go and and see it for yourself. But for me personally, it wasn't for me, and I wouldn't return. I've been but a Sydney resort for two weeks when I was really young. That was quite nice, but not the authentic Dominican Republic. But I did know Jurassic Park was filmed there. Was it? Yeah, they used it for Jurassic Park, I believe, from what I was told. I could have been told a lie, but they used it to sell at all. So, but again, this was because we were just staying in a, in a uh, resort. Um, it was a it was a day trip, but it was uh yeah, it was quite beautiful where we, where we went. But again, you know, it's like a lot of places. It's um two two sides to the coin, and maybe the reason why there's no produce is because all the hotels have got it because there's a lot of tourism. It's a different experience. I mean, we spent. We spent one night in Santo Domingo, to be precise, we were in Boca Chica, which is close to the airport. It's literally the only reason I was there. And I've never felt so scared in my life. I was terrified. Even the one at the Airbnb was like, lock all the doors and lock all the windows and like shut the curtains. I was like, uh, okay, I don't think I want to be here. And it was noisy and it was, it was just really scary. Like I didn't feel safe at all. Like driving through that neighborhood to get there, didn't feel safe during the night. It was incredibly noisy with dogs barking and just noise that made me feel really uncomfortable. So yeah, I again, wouldn't go back. I was really happy to leave. The good thing about Dominican is they do only give you a 30-day tourist visa, which honestly, that is enough. Um, but if you do overstay it, they just don't care. Like You can overstay for 10 years and they'll only charge you a thousand USD to leave. That's the fine. So that's why lots of people go there to move because it's really easy to just just stay without bothering to do anything else. Pay that one fire at the end. Mm-hmm. I, I paid a fine to get out because we obviously overstayed by an extra 30 days. Um, it was really inexpensive. I can't remember how much it was. It, was, it, was, it wasn't much at all. And you just go to the airport and, and pay it there and that's it. They stamp you out. It's really quite interesting. And then you, did you then move to Colombia from Dominican Republic then? Yes. And how was that when you first arrived? I was surprised because because Colombia has doesn't have the best reputation, so you can you can approach it, you know, with a bit of trepidation. Like, oh, don't know what to expect. But um, I was like, you know what? As soon as I landed, I was like, I already like this more than where we've been. I felt safer immediately. Yeah, it's Bogota is really quite modern, like a lot of it. I don't live in the in the posh modern part. In fact, we live in one of the rougher districts. But honestly, I don't. I feel so safe here. I've never had any problems with anybody at all. Even with taxis hailing them in the street, no issues. Everyone is so friendly and kind. Well, they just let you get on with it. They just completely just let you get on with it. No one's bothering anybody. Um. So yeah, huge huge difference to to deal. And I think the only part of Colombia that reminded me of DR was when I went to Santa Marta, which is on the Caribbean coast. And it's quite, some of it's quite dirty, um, again, with rubbish and stuff like that. So it's got that sort of Dominican kind of feel. But even then, never had a problem with anyone. Felt really, really safe, although apparently it's not. Um, you know, there was like a shooting literally a few meters from our house. But you're not going to get caught up in that stuff unless you're into drugs and all that sort of stuff. If you stay out of that stuff, people may get shot on your doorstep, but they're not coming for you because you weren't involved in the mess that they were in, which is why they got shot, right? 
So we never. Well, it had... sounds like most, most big cities in the in the world, like in London, for instance, if you're involved in the wrong circles, you'll you'll get into the wrong trouble. Same in Sweden, which is obviously seen as quite a safe place, but there's there's still crime there. There's organised crime. There's people getting murdered. All yeah, keep your nose clean. You'd be fine. Yeah, it just depends on what you're into. If you're into stuff that's going to get you in trouble, like if you're into prostitutes or you're into to drugs, you will probably find a problem. And especially here, if you're into Tinder, you have to be real careful with Tinder, especially you, you lads. You have to be real careful because there are organized crime rings of women who will give you something called scolopamine, I think it's called, or devil's breath, which just basically incapacitates you and makes you very, very compliant. So you'll give up things like your PIN number, and you'll just do whatever you're told. It's like a, it's almost like a truth serum. That's how it's been described. Oh, wow. And women use this on gringos um, to, to get money out of them, to rob them. And they wake up and they have no idea what's going on in the morning. And they realize, you know, their credit cards are gone. All their money is gone. Passports are gone or whatever. So you have to be real careful with Tinder out here. Um, because that's generally where they find their people. But again... Don't go online dating, don't take drugs, and don't use prostitutes, and you'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> that, that's great advice for life in general. Um, staying on uh, on living abroad then and, and your experiences in all these places, obviously the food you see you put in your mood board when you before you moved. What's been like the, the culinary journey you've been on, and how was it like discovering this food for the first time authentically rather than going to Chipotle or something? Oh, my God. The food in England, right? They our our idea of Mexican food is like old El Paso. So wrong. It's they lie. That is not Mexican food. Mexican food is so much better than that. Like the Mexicans would cry if they knew what we were being sold as Mexican food in England. It's embarrassing because their food is amazing. Um, and it if you like spicy food and food of a kick, you will love Mexican food. Be very careful of the salsas that they have at the taco stands if you're not into spice because they will knock you on your ass. <laughs> like some of them are so... Need some yogurt with some sour cream on the side Ooh. just to survive. You ain't going to find no sour cream though. All yogurt. You can no. you can buy it in the shops, but you're not going to find it at the taco stands. If you if you don't want the hot stuff... Cheese then. You'll find cheese. Cheese on everything. But you what's really nice and cooling is the um that avocado-like salsas. So if you want something that's not hot, go go for that. Go for the avocado cream sauce or the avocado salsa because they generally don't have any spice in them, but they're really tasty. But tacos, tacos are just tacos in Mexico. It doesn't get better than that. Like they're just so good. I used to live at the taco stand. And what was it like then going to Guatemala? So you, you see, you mentioned it took you a long time to find Guatemalan food when you found it. Was it different in terms of like the culinary differences or? Was it quite a similar kind of base? It's kind of similar as they like their their spice as well. So we had some stuff that was like really, really hot. I can't remember the name of it, but it was some chicken, like a chicken curry or a chicken stew type thing that begins with P. But that was really good. And they have like, you know, little taco-y type things and little... It's similar, similar but different. And I really enjoyed it. I I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to, I, I wanted to complain to someone and say, why can we not have more of this? You know, your food is so good, it should be on every street corner. Export it. Yeah, it was delicious. It was really nice. I did enjoy Guatemalan food when I could get hold of it. Um, 
what I did find is when you go to like bus stops and bus stations, you'll find women who were cooking up chicken and rice and beans and stuff like that. And then they'll package it up and you can take it on the bus with you, which is really nice. But you still won't find, you know, like their really traditional foods. Like I, I accidentally fell into a market and that's where I found their food. And I was like, this, I don't understand why you don't have little people selling this all over the place like you do in Mexico because you should, you know, your food is that good. It should be everywhere. And in Dominican, was that a different experience again? Obviously being in Ireland on the Caribbean, but... Yeah, it, it would have been because we look up the food of where we're going before we go. And we were really excited to try Dominican food. And I didn't eat any Dominican food when I was in Dominican Republic because a few places that were near me, I didn't trust to eat in there and come out alive. It just didn't look like the one with flies landed on stuff and stuff just left out in the open. Obviously, it's hot as well. So I didn't risk any of that. I didn't know anybody locally who could make me food. Um, so the only local food I had was Chinese food. Not local at all. Um, <laughs> but it was all right. It was rice and it was served with chicken and served with potato salad. Really, really weird collection of food. But that was the one place we went to a couple of times. So I was really disappointed I didn't actually get to try any Dominican food because there just wasn't anything close to us that I thought I'd survive the experience of trying. That's such a shame that I guess you chose to be uh, a bit cautious in terms of not eating food, which might make you sick. What's, what's healthcare like in terms of on the topic of being sick then? What would, what would be your kind of, I guess, would you have a, a travel insurance or? I don't have travel insurance and healthcare. When I was in Mexico, I broke my wrist. Um, so I did end up going to hospital. I, my washing machine leaked. I slipped in the water going to get the mop and I broke my wrist. Um, what I will tell you is the Mexican paramedics are very beautiful to look at. And they're nice to listen to as well. Um, but they looked after me really well. Uh, I had an x-ray. They they bandaged me up. It didn't cost me the earth to, to have that treatment. It cost me about, about £700 to have all the x-rays and all, all the care that I had. So quite a bit, but if you would have private treatment in the UK, I'm guessing it would have cost a hell of a lot more. Um, and, you know, the clinics, you can go to like the local, local clinics and pay, you know, small amounts of money if you want to stand in long queues and wait a long time. Or you can go to a private clinic and pay a bit more, be seen a lot quicker. And yeah, so my experience of Mexican healthcare was absolutely fine. No problems at all. I would... I would recommend you just find yourself a clinic, get a taxi there and just literally just walk in and tell them what's wrong and they'll, they'll fix you right up. That was fine. When I came to Colombia only three months ago, I became very, very, very sick, like really sick. I did not know what was wrong with me. I was in bed for almost two months. And to begin with, I had a home visit from a doctor, which was very inexpensive. He treated me with IV antibiotics at home he came and saw me every day for eight days unfortunately what he did for me didn't help me at all I was still sick and his advice was to just calm down and take my pills and I'd be fine if I had just calmed down and took my pills I would be dead oh wow yeah I got a second opinion I knew something was seriously wrong with me I got a second opinion and this was an English speaking doctor female this time she came out and found me collapsed on my bedroom floor she sent for blood and realized that my hemoglobin levels had dropped even lower than they already were from when the first doctor took them. 
um, to the point where they were at life-threateningly low levels. So she said, right, you need to get yourself right to the, the hospital right now as an emergency, call an ambulance. Emergency ambulances in Santa Marta take five hours. Five hours. The NHS. <laughs> yeah, five hours. And then I was living in like a private gated community at this time they wouldn't let the ambulance in because they didn't want it to damage the mango trees i was unable to walk so luckily my next door neighbor put me in his car and drove me out of the covento to the ambulance and they they took me to the hospital um i did skip apart the first clinic i went to there was like blood all over the floor there was no water available and nobody wanted to see me for hours and hours and hours so we left so then we come to this this hospital they admitted me eventually I'll, I'll make this as brief as possible <laughs> but they admitted me and the woman came in and said hey we want a pee sample so i was like okay i'll give you the pee sample she gave me this tiny little thimble and i was like okay where's the toilet i can't actually get to the toilet can i have a um a wheelchair and she said well, we don't have one i was like okay how am i supposed to get to the loo like i, I was so weak i couldn't walk unaided and needed to be supported so she pulled around this little like portable curtain <laughs> with the door wide open and all these people in in the waiting room and just said get on with it i was like okay but what am i supposed to do with the rest of the pee like you give me this tiny little cup like it's not i can't just turn it off once it starts <laughs> oh, <tap. laughs> she didn't care she was like i just i just want some pee she was like just do it on the floor like i just i just don't care so yeah I did eventually get to the toilet um, and then they wanted to move me to a ward. By the time they found a wheelchair and wheeled me to the ward, somebody else had taken my bed. <laughs> I had no bed. Eventually, yeah. I did get a bed. Like musical chairs with beds, it, I suppose. It was. <laughs> it was. Musical beds for real. I did eventually get a bed and the food was good. I think that's the one thing I can say about care in Santa Marta. This is not, I'm not speaking for the whole of Colombia. I'm only speaking for Santa Marta because that's where I had all the care um, I did eventually get the bed. The food was good. But there's one thing. If you do end up sick and you go into hospital in Santa Marta, you will not have a pillow. You're not allowed to bring in a pillow. They will not give you a blanket because you have to bring in your own blanket. And you have to even bring your own toilet roll and your own water. You can go to the toilet, but you ain't got wipes. Unless you've got, <laughs> you got toilet It is a trip. Like, it's crazy. I did actually end up having emergency surgery. Um, luckily, when they realized what was wrong with me, I was internally bleeding. I'd lost three and a half liters of blood, which is almost all the blood because the body only holds five liters. Um, and they gave me emergency surgery and they saved my life. So as much as like the whole experience was a trip, these people, once they realized what was wrong with me, they got to it and they fixed me right up. And I'm still here to tell that story. So post-surgery, I woke up really confused, stayed in bed for a couple of days. My bed was broken and was actually tilted slightly backwards. And I had to beg to get that fixed because I couldn't sit up and I was tilted backwards for two days. I was like, how am I supposed to eat, drink or do anything when I'm like constantly tilted backwards? And they're like, your bed's broken. I'm like, yeah, I know that. Can I get like another one or can you fix it? <laughs> It did get fixed after two days. The doctors come round and they say, right now it's time to get up. I've had major abdominal surgery. And I said, okay, uh, where, where's a physio at? They ain't got no physios in the hospital. They just, they don't exist. I said, okay, so how am I supposed to get up? And the doctor's advice was do it slowly. I don't know how to get out of bed after having abdominal surgery because I can't, you know, you can't just sit up. 
I had to use YouTube. I found a physiotherapist on YouTube to teach me how to get up out of my bed. And that's the only way I managed it because I didn't know how to make this happen. And then they, um, they want you to go shower. The nurses don't help you to maneuver. They don't help you to go to the shower. They don't help you do anything. They come around and do their job, which is taking blood, giving you pills, you know, putting food down, changing dressings. And that is it. Like they ain't gonna help you do nothing. So I had to navigate all this stuff alone. And it was hard. It was really tough. But um, like I said, these people saved my life. So as much as it was very uncomfortable. And then when it came to paying, um, because obviously they're, they're, they're totting up this bill. When it came to paying and they said, oh, you can go home. Your bill is like 22 million pesos, which is about 4,000 pounds, um, which is not bad. You know, for two weeks in hospital, you're like, it's a bit of a bargain. Um, I said, okay, you know, I had lots of people in my Facebook community donate to help me pay for this, this unexpected bill and unexpected illness, presented my card and they said, oh, our payment systems are down. And it was, it was a, was a Friday. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll come back and pay you on Monday. They said, no, you won't. You ain't leaving until you pay. I was like, but you can't take my money and no one in their right mind walks around with 22 million pesos. They just said, well, not for very long anyway. No, not for very long. Not at all. You're right. They kept me in that hospital and they wouldn't let me leave. They had armed guards coming to check on me, men with guns. I was not allowed to leave. So I said, all right, you can keep me, but I'm not paying to stay. Like this is gratis. It's free. And they fed me for free. Now as a hostage rather than a patient, they wouldn't take the cannula out of my arm. Cause they were like, that's your, your thing that says that you belong to us. And it was causing me pain. So I actually removed it myself. Got in a lot of trouble for doing it, but I did it anyway. But yeah, they kept me there against my will. And they said, oh, every Monday in Colombia is like a day of festivo. It's like a bank holiday. Like pretty much every single month. Like they have the most, um, yeah, they have the most like bank holidays in the whole world. Honestly, Colombia always got a day of festivo on a Monday. So obviously this stuff has happened on a Friday. Nobody's coming out over the weekend and nobody's coming out on Monday because it's day of festivo. So I'm literally stuck in this hospital and Monday comes and they decide, you know what, we're sick of having you here and it's costing us more than it. It doesn't make sense to, to keep you here feeding you um, when obviously you're taking up a bed and you're not paying for it. So they did actually let me go, but I had to give them my passport. To... Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bathroom. <laughs> exactly. But... They let me go and I did pay the bill and I'm still here to tell the tale. But anything I would say to you is don't get sick in Santa Marta. If you have like, if you have medical issues, probably give Santa Marta a wide berth. Um, because even if you have, you know, all the insurances and all the stuff, the care there is quite shocking. It's not something you want to experience. In an emergency situation, yes, they'll keep your ass alive. But um if you can avoid it, don't go near a clinic or or a hospital in Santa Marta because it is not gonna be a pleasant experience. It's good that you're still here with us and good that you're able to tell the story. But yeah, obviously not the most comfortable of experiences, but fundamentally they did the job and you're, you know, fitting well, which is the most important thing. 
I'm super grateful. Going on to the next kind of part of living abroad than socialising, obviously you've kind of doffed yourself around and been to those places, towns and cities. Um, how has that been? How have you kind of found local people or uh, have you found expat communities or have you just kind of thrown yourself in everywhere? Both. Everywhere I go, I join all the expat groups on Facebook. Not necessarily to meet people, but just to connect with others and know that, you know, you know, you can find out things. You, you can rent a place from or, you know, who's got somewhere, where you can find X, Y and Z. So I'll always join all the Facebook groups. Locals, you can't avoid them. You're going to meet them everywhere. And you're probably going to date them as well, which is a great way not only to learn the language, but to really get to know the area. So I've had a few dates in Mexico and not everywhere I've went. Mexico and Colombia only. I never, never saw anyone in the other two countries. I wasn't there long enough and Dominican guys scared me. Didn't want to go near them. Um, <laughs> and obviously Guatemala was there for eight days and on a bus for most of it. But yeah, definitely you can connect with people. And if you go into the Facebook groups, just ask a question and you will find that there's, you know, meetups and when they are and... You can connect with people like that. And that's how I've met people. But I actually met my boyfriend in, in Bogota when I first came. He was, a, he is, not was, he still is a security guard at the complex I was staying in. I didn't speak much Spanish then. We just smiled at each other for a month. And I took his number and left. <laughs> and he kept in touch. And since then we've chit-chatted a lot got to know each other and now I'm back and we're together and we can actually talk to each other so that's really nice <laughs> is he learning English and you're learning Spanish or I'm definitely learning more Spanish than he is English but um that's fine because obviously there is no there is no need for English in Colombia nobody speaks it it's very very rare like in Mexico you'll find if you're in a tourist places you'll find people that speak English but in Colombia this is you just don't you don't see it not often and if anyone does speak it is very very little yeah we are exchanging languages it's easy to find people facebook is the way to to find people and connect with people and, and meet people incredible and is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of your life in each of these countries before you go to the next section obviously it's quite a big bit you've talked about yeah no i think probably just leave it So hello and welcome to section three of the podcast, which I've not actually named, but it's a review essentially of your time abroad. And obviously it's been a whirlwind of yours. There's lots of up and downs um, and you are still smiling now. So obviously you enjoyed it, Ivan. If you could uh, go back to when you first moved um, and give yourself some advice, what, what would you say to yourself? Don't take everything and the kitchen sink would be the first thing when we arrived in mexico we had i think nine bags bags and suitcases and don't bring a bloody push chair you will not be able to use it the roads aren't made for it sidewalks are pretty much non-existent um so that that would be the first the first advice don't bring everything like they do have stuff out here you don't need to bring it all um and secondly i think and learn more of the language you know the more you can come with the easier your life is going to be but you will learn it anyway because you're going to be immersed but I would definitely have learned more if if I could go back and, and do it again get out Duolingo before you move and 
I was doing Duolingo, you know, but I think I needed to be more consistent with it, like, and talk, practice, actually practice your Spanish. Maybe in-person lessons would probably be better. And I guess you know you're, you're immersed in, in, in the culture and language, so it's a good way for you to actually learn and because you have to speak it in order to get your groceries or, you know, survive. And you said in Colombia, they don't really speak English, so you have no choice but to to point and use a Google Translate, but fundamentally doing that enough times will help you learn the language and you'll grow and it really will. It really will. And it has done. You know, I've I'm still nowhere near like fluent, but from where I started to where I am now, it's, it's completely different. World to bar. Yeah, massively. That's amazing. And it's also a very useful language to learn because it's one of the most popular in the world, isn't it, in Spanish. So yeah. you've chosen a good one. When I started learning three dish you spoken by 10 million people then so it wasn't very useful yeah <laughs> yeah it's a very very small amount of people really i can read the ikea furniture now oh there you go you want to have sweet experience and they have ikea out here so that will come in handy they've got one in bogota so so come come and read come and read the furniture to me <laughs> i mean it's probably as a spanish translation or an english translation on it but, oh. but yeah it's it's everywhere you go in latin america that i've been so far you will find differences so as much as like you can learn it and think, oh yeah, I've got it down, you will still find that some stuff will still be lost in translation. Like you have to just spend time in the countries and learn the differences. Like in Colombia, they say "chao." That's Italian. They read Germany. They say "chao." Well, like my really? friends in Germany say "chao." Ah. Yeah. Everyone says "chao" now. I think it's become an international goodbye. I think so. It must be. And what advice would you give to other people who are looking to travel? Do it. Don't wait. Don't overthink it. Don't wait until this happens. Don't wait until that happens. Don't wait for the right time because there will never be a right time. The right time to do it is now. Just do it. And you'll figure it out as you go along. Like, don't worry about, oh, what if you get sick? You can get sick anyway. You can get sick right where you are right now. You will figure it out. Like, then everything has happened to me since I've been away. Traveling as a solo mum with kids, and I've figured it out. You will absolutely figure it out. Just go and do it. Just don't take everything and the kitchen sink. Travel light. Take hand luggage only. So much easier and so much cheaper. Is that a good life hack for traveling? Then just don't do pack anything. Just take hand luggage. Yeah, just hand luggage. Honestly, like I spent so much money and time twatting about with enormous suitcases. You just don't need to. Everything's replaceable. It's just stuff. Like, there are obviously things that are more difficult to get hold of or maybe the quality is not quite as good. But generally, you can figure it out. Everything everything is pretty much available unless you're really, really picky about certain things. And maybe you want to have a suitcase of them. But generally, hand luggage only is the way to go. That's great advice. And I would definitely try and keep going more in the future, I suppose. Um, one thing I've, I've heard in this port is like packing dividers, which really help you kind of like be more compact with what goes in the hand of your bag. Packing, can you? Yeah, you fit so much more in them. And and um, backpack. When I moved, I used backpacks. So I backpacked and put it all into a big suitcase. So I got more, most of my clothes, especially winter clothes, because going to the Arctic Circle, effectively. So you needed layers. Definitely. Yeah, packing tubes are amazing. Like I've used packing tubes for ages. So I brought them all with me. And that is one thing I will always continue to use is packing cubes. Like they are... They're revolutionary. Like, if you don't have packing cubes, get some packing cubes. This is an advert for packing cubes. It is. 
And I'm not an affiliate of any packing tube companies. They're just that good that I want to talk about them. Off the back of this, you might. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll be happy to promote packing tubes. You tr- you believe in the product for the matters? Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to talk about, about living abroad or your experiences? Uh, work. Do not come anywhere in the world and expect to find work. Because one, you'll probably need a work visa. And if you get caught working without one, you're in a lot of trouble. And two, you're going to be paid in the local currency, even if you did find work, which is not going to be enough to live comfortably at all. So if possible, make sure you have some sort of online income that you can not only take everywhere, but you know that you're going to be earning in dollars or pounds or euros. So it's going to convert to to more money wherever you are, especially in like this part of the world and you can live quite comfortably. So like I said, I started off as a as a crypto coach. I don't do that anymore. I've pivoted along the way and it's absolutely okay to change what you do. Don't feel like, oh, I started with this, I got to stick with this. No, if something is not quite working, it doesn't feel aligned or there's something else you want to do, there is nothing stopping you from going and doing that. Right now, I provide business systems and automation for online business owners or anyone with an online presence. Generally, they're energetics practitioners or healers. Um, and I build online courses and sales funnels. So they can put together, you know, the education that they have. It looks beautiful. It's distraction-free. And they can have a page that they can then promote to, to sell their thing. And that's what I do. And I also offer um, technical support on a monthly basis. And on the back of all this, this is all come from doing virtual assistance work, which I kind of fell into in the Dominican Republic. Um, and I built a business quite quickly and was able to get clients and all this sort of stuff and run a business quite well. So I actually have a VA academy and I teach other women how to get their businesses up and running so then they can go off and create their own remote income so they can travel or stay home or do whatever it is they want to do just have more freedom and flexibility to do it if you can build something online absolutely do it and if you can do it for yourself all the better because lots of these like remote working companies don't actually let you leave the country you're in so unless you literally do just work from your house and you don't want to travel that's fine but if you actually want to get off and, and see other places the best thing you can do is do it for yourself rather than the company. Well, that's completely true. Um, what, in terms of finding those jobs or like setting them up, were you doing something similar in the UK before you moved, or did that just fall into that? I literally fell into it. Like I hadn't worked in about ten years because I was ill. I had a almost fatal car accident. Um, which kept me off. I had to learn to walk again and it was crazy. Um, and then I was raising the family. So I hadn't had any work. I wasn't doing anything other than, well, when I say other than looking after a family, like that's nothing. But that, that was it's a my, full-time job. Yeah, that was my full-time job was looking after my kids and running my home. Um, so no, I didn't have any experience per se, but I had you know, messed about in the online space since 2016 when I decided I absolutely want to make online income. Didn't have clue what I was doing, but I built a website from my phone and I started a blog and I started doing little bits and pieces. And that has all rolled into what I actually offer now because I'm a total tech geek and I actually like winding myself up, learning things and figuring them out rather than just saying, hey, can you help me do this? No, I figure it out myself. But, um, 
you don't have to have a background in virtual assistants to be a virtual assistant at all. If you can use the internet and you use things like social media or you can build a website or you can sort through somebody's inbox or manage someone's calendar, you know, manage someone's life, you can translate that into a virtual assistant business. Virtual assistants is basically just doing it online. If whatever it is that you're good at or that you do, you can provide from a distance using the internet, you can offer some sort of virtual assistant service, which is what I teach in the academy is how to how to bring your existing skills out so you can actually do that. And, you know, the different systems and platforms you can use to run your business and get clients and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's not just, you know, it's not just women sat at computers, you know, sending emails. No, 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 no. It's huge. Men and women can do this. And it doesn't matter what your background is. I'm pretty sure you will find that you have skills that could translate. And obviously from there you can grow and learn more. But to get started, you've probably got something in your back pocket already. Well, it's an amazing piece of advice for people who are, you know, looking for that kind of way into an online career or just the opportunity to do something different as well. Mm -hmm. Even though, like a side hustle. I guess uh, the hours you can work are purely up to yourself. Exactly. They are. It is up to you. Like, you get to design your life. You get to design your schedule. And you get to choose who you work with. You don't have to work with anyone who, who you don't like. You don't have to work with anyone who says, I want you available 12 hours a day. Well, tough. I'm only available for three, so you're not for me. Like, this really is entirely up to you to run however fits with your life and your family and, and what you want. Brilliant. Well, yes, that's, that's great. Um, thank you for sharing that. And uh, thank you for agreeing to be my guest on this podcast. Uh, it's been obviously quite um, quite eye-opening listening to your stories and Obviously, the, the turbulence you've had on the journey so far. But as I said, it seems that you're still very passionate, happy, and proud that you've gone and done this and taking your family with you and, you know, really just just done it and ask questions second kind of thing. You, you've got to just yeah, delivered on what you wanted to do, which, you know, that mood board of yours is very proud. I still have it. I haven't put it on my wall yet, but I still have it. I actually create digital ones now and put them on my phone and I have them on my laptop because obviously walking around with paper clippings and magazines and, and blue tack, although I have all these things, it probably is easier because we did talk about not taking the kitchen sink is if you create one in something like Canva, which is a, a design um, platform for non-designers, and then you can just put it straight on your phone. No extra stuff. It's just an app. And you can even use it for free. Great advice there as well. I have Canva too, but <laughs> mainly for, for doing the social media stuff. It's really useful for that as well. Um, my, my logo was made using Canva. So. That's exactly. Canva's amazing. Yeah, again, we're going to advertise Canva now too. Yes. <laughs> they're gonna, they can pay it. We're not affiliates of Canva, but maybe we should be. Yes. Thank, thank you for, for joining me and, and sharing your story. And um, yeah, we'll see you all next time. The Expat Pod.